the most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective. Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and that is what makes us Americans. Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya. News Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9 103.3 FM. Good morning, 11.06 and 42. In the studio with me, Dr. Marjan Dreisick from the University of North Dakota. Welcome in, sir. Good morning. So I wanted to get your thoughts on Scott Jensen and particularly this issue around vaccines in the election. I know we were talking just prior to the program. You were saying that you were writing a paper on isolation during COVID. And so obviously, you know, this pandemic is not the first time we've gone through a pandemic in the U.S., not the first time this has happened in the world, but this is the first time that like every step is documented and anybody can access it and anybody can repeat it. And so now it's become a political issue. And so I guess my question is, is that new? Well, I mean, if you look back in the history of any epidemic, I mean, the most famous one probably being the influenza epidemic, 1918, 1921. Yeah, everything becomes politicized. Uh, everyone, you know, takes a stance uh, that is, you know, critical. I mean, the Wilson administration back during the influenza pandemic of that era, you know, was attacked for all sorts of things. So it's, I think it's inevitable that people politicize something, especially something that is, you know, terrifying, uh, especially something that is unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's just human nature to make, you can make anything political, right? We could argue sure. about the, you know, whether the moon's made of green cheese, but uh <laughs> It's it's true. I, I think that it, it, history has shown that these these events do become politicized very quickly. Do you think that the bar for something being or not being political is based off of the idea of mandates? So once we step away from this idea of maximum absence of coercion, now there is something for each side to latch onto. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, there are always going to be people who, if you tell them to do something, they're not going to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this yeah. is true. I mean, universally. And I think, uh, but if you don't tell people to do something, they're not going to do it either. Mm-hmm. Right. So if something is not required, people aren't going to do it. I, I see this with students all the time. If you don't require an assignment, they don't do it. Mm-hmm. They don't do it. So I think, I think that does increase politicization, but I think, you know, either any direction, you know, something as large and as scary as COVID was going to become politicized no matter what anyone did. Yeah, I think uh, that I think that's important to understand. Do you think that's just the cost of living in a shared society? Like if it would be great if we could all live in our own little bubbles and live in our own little <laughs> silos. But since that's not reality, is this kind of unnecessary component? I'm imagining us living in our own little bubbles. There's actually some science fiction works that address that. OK. Uh, point, like people living in little cubicles. Right. We don't. Right. We live. We're social beings. We're social animals. We need each other. And yeah, and our actions affect each other. So yeah, we can't, you can't, I think you can't just say I'm autonomous and whatever I do doesn't affect you because yes, what I do does affect you. And uh, especially in the case of disease, right? What, what I d- d- do does affect you. Yes. Your questions and your thoughts, your comments are welcome at 775-5559. You can address them to Dr. Mark Jendrysik. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll take them. So Dr. Scott Jensen, what's interesting to me about this, Dr. Jendrysik, is this is a man who has a medical background, mm-hmm. 
And when he comes forward and says here, based on my medical belief, I went to medical school. I've spent 10 years studying this and this is you know my profession. Now he's running for governor and saying, here's what I think is reasonable and here's what I think is unreasonable. And mainstream media largely is categorizing him as this crazy kook guy that's kind of off in Neverland. And I guess I don't quite understand that part of the politicalization. Why? 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 Why present it? Why not just say like, hey, this, you know, some people think this and some people think that. Well, I mean, gosh, this is it's like treading through landmines here. <laughs> uh, because sometimes people are wrong. I mean, okay. Right. I mean, I think it is. I think, you know, and I'm not I'm not this is not in the I'm not suggesting this about this current case. But, yeah. you know, the media has an obligation to say if someone goes around saying, you know, I don't know, uh, the moon is made of green cheese or, mm-hmm. you know, gravity is not real or birds aren't real or whatever. If they're saying something patently ridiculous, the media has to call them out on it. Sure. And I think if you're, if you're, you know, if you're running for public office, I think you have an obligation to address issues in a serious fashion. Uh, and this again does not reflect. Uh, of course. Dr. Jensen. I, I, I can honestly say I don't know enough about his positions to speak clearly on it. Yeah. But I think the media does have a job to say if someone is saying things which are patently false. Okay. To come out and say it. I mean, I don't, I think the danger here is both siding everything, right? That everyone's mm-hmm. opinions are equally good. Well, the fact is everyone's entitled to their own opinion, mm-hmm. but you're not entitled to your, your own truth, right? That's true. I yeah. mean, you know, it, and, and I think I tell this to students all the time. It's like, you know, not every opinion is viable, right? You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to get up in my class and say that, I don't know, Hitler was swell, mm-hmm. I am not going to say, what an interesting position you just took. How provocative. No, yeah. I'm going to say, no, you're wrong because objectively he was not swell. Yeah. Right now, I know that's an extreme example and, you, you know, going there is always very extreme. But I think the media has an obligation to say that this person is sta- stating things which are, are proven to be false. Okay. Right. And I think that's very true about public. It's true about public health. It's true about any issue. If, if someone is stating things which are false, uh, the media should say they are false, right? Not just both side everything. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what an interesting position. What a provocative position. We're just asking questions. No, you're making statements which are patently untrue. Sure. And that needs to be called out. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. the number to join us. You can call or text us, same number. Email us live at KNOXradio.com. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Well, I have a comment on your current topic, and then I have a question for Dr. Jones Isaac. So the comment I have on the current current topic is, is that we all know that the media, depending on which media you're following, is very biased to whatever side that they believe. Uh, and whether or not you believe in Dr. Jensen or not, um, he is a qualified medical professional, and I do believe that he probably knows a little bit more about vaccines and disease than the average ordinary Joe, um, meaning Governor Walls or anybody else who ran Minnesota, at least in my opinion, into the ground. Now, Dr. Jensen will come back and tell you, hey, um, you know, I was told, specifically told as a doctor in this state to put COVID as a reason of death on a death certificate that was not COVID related. And he has no reason to lie about it. Um, cause his, I mean, his practice is on the line for, for doing so. So I can't believe that he would, um, in general, make something up of that nature. But anyway, my question for Dr. Jindizic is, does he see a red wave coming, like um, is being 
predicted. And does he believe that it is very possible that not necessarily Minnesota, I think Minnesota's maybe a stretch, but I I do think Jensen could essentially pull it off really um, in those last hours if he really has the backing behind him. But Oregon, um, New York, uh, there's a, a lot of other states out there that have been either on the liberal side of the fence or independent running and leaning for years and it's looking like they may indeed go red. So mm. what does Dr. Indirectic think about that? So, all right, then I'll just hang up and listen. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Well, yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, well, personally, I will say this. Lots of people, I mean, lots of people have training in medicine. Lots of people have training in lots of things. It doesn't make them an expert in every field of that their, their area, right? I okay, mean, that makes sense. I'm a political scientist, but I am not an expert on, say, you know, statistics, right. Or, sure. or the, or statistical methods in political science. And so you can be a doctor, right. And not be a virologist or an epidemiologist or an immunologist. Right? Okay. So I think that's important to understand just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you're an expert on all things medical. But sure. That's, I'm not going to go any further into that because that's a rabbit hole. Okay. Uh, regarding the red wave. Sure. It's quite possible. Um, I'm, you know, I think Oregon's an interesting case because you have an independent candidate who's likely to siphon votes away from the Democrats. And so that might leave an opening for the opening for the Republicans. Uh, I'm not sure about New York. That's a harder call. Uh, but sure, it's possible there'll be a red wave. It wouldn't surprise me if, I mean, it wouldn't be at all surprising if the Republicans take control of Congress, uh, win a number of governor's seats as well. Uh, yeah, that this would not be a surprise given, uh, that people seem, you know, the media seems laser focused on economic issues, which are inflation. Mm -hmm. That's all Mm -hmm. they talk about, right? They don't talk about unemployment, which is historically low. So yeah, I think it wouldn't be surprising if the Republicans take control of Congress, both houses, and it wouldn't be surprising if they gain a number of uh, governor's seats uh, as well. Absolutely. This is a midterm election. That's what happens in midterms. It switches parties. Yeah. The party out of office tends to benefit. Absolutely. Yeah. That's historical. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Yeah. Is that me? That's you. So you probably heard this analogy before. I change it up a little bit. But you take uh, a bunch of red ants and a bunch of blue ants, and you put them in a jar, and they live kind of harmoniously. And uh, then you take the mainstream media or the media in general, and you shake up the jar, and they start ripping their limbs off of each other. I feel like the media in general has become so irresponsible these days. And I know that, you know, you got the First Amendment and, everything but they've got to be more responsible more professional it, it feels like um even some of the local news has gotten out of control as far as their responsibility to the people and and, and it's hard to trust anybody anymore with what they're uh, what they're saying so i guess it's more of a comment than a question but uh i i just feel like something has to change there as far as the responsibility so Appreciate the call. Thank you. Yep. 775-5559. Dr. Jindrasek, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, conflict is good for ratings, right? I mean, if you think about certain political figures, I won't mention any in particular, but certain political figures attract attention and they get on because they, they, they say things which are outrageous or cause conflict and conflict drives ratings. I mean, if you think about coverage of crime in this country, uh-huh. right? Crime is way below what it was, say, in the early 90s or the late 70s or even, you know, even historically. Uh But because 
everything is nationalized now. Yeah. Everything becomes a national event, right? And so someone gets murdered in Arkansas and you hear about it. You would have never heard about it 20 or 30 years ago. And I think that's, that's one of the problems I have with the media. I don't, I don't personally believe, I think the media certainly has some biases. I don't think it's as extreme as people think. I think you can figure out the biases if you think about it. Sure. But I think the problem is that we build up conflict. We build up extremes, right? And so freaks like Kanye West, Uh you know, get all this attention. Why does he get attention? Right. He's just a strange, sad man Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it's good for ratings. And I think that is something that, you know, the public needs to think about is why am I paying attention to these people? Why am I paying attention to these outlandish folk who seem to get all this media attention? And again, conflict drives ratings. Uh If the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Right. Yep. And that is unfortunate, I think. And it does create a real sense of conflict. And let's face it, it's boring to report that 90% of people agree on most everything. Right. Right. I mean, you know, that's just boring. Who wants that? What we want are are conflicts and weirdos like Kanye West. And we want them, you know, in in our face because this seems exciting to us in some weird way. Do you think it's because it facilitates discussion? Uh, I don't know if it facilitates discussion because how can you argue about someone like Kanye or how can you argue about someone who has people have such extreme views? Mm -hmm. What can you argue with them about? Right. I mean, the point of political discussion is to try to reach. Uh, uh, some compromise or some intelligent outcome that we can all agree on. And when you're dealing with people who are either arguing in bad faith, mm-hmm. lying mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. just crazy, you can't do that. And so, and I think the media focuses far too much on bad faith argument lies and people who are just, I'm going to say it out now nuts Yeah, because those people drive ratings. Okay. Uh, and you know, which is unfortunate, right? I, I just think it's an unfortunate reflection of, of, the, the, the free market of our yeah. of our media system is conflict is interesting. Yep. Right. Fighting is interesting. Getting people to call in this show and you know there's there's call in shows that are like argue, let's argue with people, right? Yeah, let's fight yeah. with people. This is exciting. Mm-hmm. And that I don't think it serves a purpose of of answering what people are concerned about. I think it just is some people like that. Uh-huh. Some people like conflict and they they'll tune they'll tune it in. Yeah. And that drives ratings. But you to you would say that doesn't facilitate discussion, that doesn't change minds. No, it doesn't change minds. Having people just yell at each other or say outlandish things for attention, I mean, that doesn't really change people's minds. It just hardens people's positions, really. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi. When you're talking about uh Dr. Jensen and COVID and news coverage. What it has come down to with COVID is the fact that people keep saying, follow the science, follow follow the science, follow the experts. And these so-called experts at the CDC were making claims. And there were people like Dr. Jensen who were questioning these claims and risking their careers in doing so. For example, the news would constantly report what the CDC was saying about, for example, get the vaccination, get this COVID vaccine and you won't get COVID. And then it changed, well, you can get COVID, but you won't spread it. Then it changed to, well, you may spread it, but you likely won't end up in the hospital because of severe symptoms. So what ends up happening is we have news organizations that are reporting these things. And then we have news organizations that will not bother to correct the error. And I don't know if it's purposeful or if it's mere neglect. But the real question that I have for you is, if a news organization will not correct a prior error, are they a credible news source anymore? Uh, well, no, they should issue corrections, obviously. I think in terms of COVID, clearly COVID changed and mutated and clearly COVID has continued to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think the CDC and like anyone else is is reacting to the changes in COVID. I don't think there's any nefarious 
plots there. Mm-hmm. I think we should look at the data, which says that the unvaccinated are much more likely to die of COVID than the vaccinated. That is just clear from the data. Uh-huh. But that said, I think the caller is absolutely correct. I think credible news organizations will issue retractions and say we were mistaken. Um, I, I think the problem with that is these retractions are often issued at like, you know, four in the morning or in the back pages of somewhere. Uh, but yeah, ab- absolutely. Credible news organizations like credible human beings uh-huh. should admit when they were wrong about something. Uh, and I think it's not a sign of strength or whatever to never admit you're wrong, right? I think if you're wrong, you admit it and you move ahead. So yes, I think yeah. the caller is right that credible organizations should admit they're wrong. And I think credible people should also admit they're wrong. Credible people in public office, credible people in in public life and just people in general. I mean, if you're wrong, admit it and move on. You know? So would you have said, you know, the CDC came out and said, Hey, you know, masks don't do anything. Do you think they should have been come out and said, Hey, you know what? We were wrong. We're following as, as we learn more about mm -hmm. the disease process, we learn that this actually was more effective than we originally thought. Well, they they did say that. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just the fact that let's face it, this is such an overwhelming thing that, you know, statements from one day to the next are going to change. And I think, I think, I think the the problem, I think a lot of people think science is this fixed thing, right? Okay. We, we know this forever. Yes. And the fact is we don't, right? I mean, you know, 200 years ago, people didn't know germs existed, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, and so we learn new things and it's something as as fast moving as COVID, we learn new things. And I think the the real point is it, you know, the mass thing, they screwed up. Mm -hmm. They should have admitted it more loudly. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the problem is you have people who are, you know, human beings, right? And sure. People hate to publicly admit they were wrong, but in this case they should have loudly said it over and over again. And, And they, I think they lost a step at the very beginning there by not loudly admitting they were wrong in the first place and then moving ahead. But I do think a lot of people have this weird idea of science, like uh-huh. you decide questions once and for all. Yeah. Right? And that's just not how science works. No, right? no. You, you just keep stacking nines at the end of the decimal. You never yeah. know for sure. Yeah. And that's, no, yeah, you can't know for sure. I mean, yeah. we don't, you know, we don't live in a world of utter certainty about anything. No, we right? live in a world of statistics. Yeah. Which is scary. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. You know, certainly there's bias in the media, but there are also hard truths. Do you see the danger in so many people in this country dismissing the trusted professionals that we have traditionally looked to, particularly with medical advice? Well, and particularly uh, also stating the facts. Um, from a collection of organizations that were trusted? I think there are plenty. Here I am, I'm an expert, right? This is my job. Uh, I I think the problem is that there has been over the last few decades in our society a real erosion of trust in everything, Uh in all institutions. And I think this has been fed by people who are opportunists. I think they're fed by people who are out to make money, uh, you know, and I think that's a real problem in our society is there is an erosion of trust in institutions and individuals. And I think it's driven partially by our, our individualist society, right? Where we want to think we know best what's for our, what's good for ourselves. We don't like being told what to do, uh-huh. which is, you know, healthy in many ways. A healthy skepticism is a good thing. But if you trust no one, right, then that's a bad thing. I think President Reagan was right when he said, 
you know, trust but verify, mm-hmm. you know, or, or as President Biden said, verify then trust, right? Either way, you know, I think you have to eventually in life trust that other people know more than you about certain things mm-hmm. and that other people do have your best interest at heart, right? I think, I think there's lots of people who just believe the most malicious things about people, mm-hmm. you know, that they're out to get them, that they're lying to them. And I think that's no way to live. And I think really for a society to function, you have to recognize that other people do know more about some things than you do and that they're not malicious, right? They do want to do good things for people, right? That, you know, people want to help people, you know, yeah. and not just profit from them. Uh, but, but that's hard because we've had this erosion of trust. If you think about just popular entertainment is full of just cynics and people who are doing bad stuff all the time and hidden conspiracies and uh-huh. secret stuff that you don't know about. And so people, you know, people start believing that and it's unfortunate because you have to trust people to live in, in to live in life. Yeah. You just have to trust people that and not believe everyone's out to get you. Or you live in a commune in the middle of nowhere. Well, or you live with the 20 people you agree with in the whole wide world. Yeah. Which, Hey, which people do all the time. You know, they do. We were just talking about that before, before we went on the air. Yeah. Seven, seven, five, 55, 59. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Good morning. One of the fears I have now is since the big lie that, uh, Trump, uh, tried to pull, uh, in all these courts, one after another said, nothing to see here. But people still believe in that. I'm asking the doctor there, do you fear now that any time there's an election and the Republicans don't win, that we're going to have more of the big lie, the the, uh, storming of buildings and all this kind of stuff? Because right now I feel unless Republicans win, we're in for a hell of a time. What you're thinking, I'll hang up. Well, I mean, you do have candidates uh, running for office uh, who have expressly said that they will only accept the result of the election if they win. The woman running for uh, Republican nominee in Arizona, Ms. Lake, has basically said that, you know, I'll, I'll accept the results if I win. Uh, that's what that's her position. Mm-hmm. And I think you have uh, already people teeing up legal challenges across the country. Uh, I've seen Pennsylvania as a focus mm-hmm. of, you know, legal challenges. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a dangerous, corrosive effect of people refusing to accept defeat. I think there's a very dangerous, corrosive effect of, I'm going to call them bad faith arguments and lies about, how, you know, what goes on with voting. I think, you know, we can take solace in the fact that in 2020, the courts uh, struck down these challenges uh, as baseless. I should note that, you know, Mr. Trump's attorneys never once alleged in open court that they were alleging fraud because they had no evidence of it. But I think it's a very dangerous thing. And I think it's, it's fundamentally wrong to say it's only right if I win. Mm. That's the argument of a five-year-old. You know, yeah. I have the game is rigged unless I win, and I think that's very corrosive. I think the caller's correct, and I think you know I don't. I think some people maybe you know believe that there is rampant voter fraud, but I think there's most people don't believe it, and they're just liars. I'm going to say it right now. Yeah, that's because what you mean by bad faith. That's act. bad faith. Yeah, yeah, you're just, you know something's wrong, yet you say it. And I think, you know, you can't, if you can't prove it in court, this is what I've said, I've said on this show back when I was on with JT too, uh-huh. allegations are not evidence and assertions are not facts. If you can't prove something in court, then what are you saying? Yeah. Right? And in our political system, that's where we resolve our disputes, in court. And if you can't prove it in court, then where's your evidence for it? And I think that's it's a very corrosive thing when you have people running for office who say, I will only accept the outcome if I win. And we see this going on right now in Brazil uh, with the election in Brazil last week where the 
president was defeated. You know, and he said, I'll follow the Constitution. Right? He hasn't come out and said, I acknowledge my defeat. Ah. And, you know, this is a very bad thing, right? You have, you know, roadblocks around the country. You have, you know, people in front of public offices, you know, protesting and demanding stuff. And, you know, he lost. He lost by two million votes, right? Uh And it's very dangerous. And I, I think it's dangerous here. When you have, you know, you've had candidates who lost by 30% saying they were, they were robbed, right? In primaries uh-huh. this year. I mean, it's, it's, it's either absurd or sad, but it's also dangerous because it riles people up to do things like attack the Capitol or, uh, there was an effort to, you know, disrupt vote counting in, in Detroit in 2020 and people pounding on the windows of the vote counting center. And so I think this is a very dangerous situation. I think people, um, need to look at candidates who, who say they won't accept the results of an election and think about, you know, what that person's saying about our democracy. We'll take the break here. We'll head over to the newsroom, get the latest news headlines from Doug Barrett. Then when we come back, Dr. Jindrysik, I'll ask you, who gets to make the decision of if somebody is acting in bad faith mm. or if somebody is qualified? We'll talk about that next. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079 1033 FM. Good morning, 1139 and 42. Text message writes a 775 5559 and says, Kari Lake did not say she would not accept the results if she didn't win. What she said is, I'm going to win and I will accept that result, which is very different than what you were saying. You're saying something out of context, much like the press does with the Republicans. She's just saying something with confidence that she'll win. And I wonder what you'll say about Nancy Pelosi's quote about when we win both the houses, I won't worry about accepting Republicans being in control. Your thoughts? Uh, well, um, since Ms. Lake also believes that Donald Trump actually won the 2020 election and has said so publicly on many occasions, okay. I would suggest that the context of her remark is I will accept the election if I win and will not accept it if I lose. That's the broader context of the statement. Sure. I understand what the texture is getting at, but I think you're reading it very closely. I'm reading it in a broader sense of her general positions on elections and things like that. Um, you know, obviously politicians are going to say we're going to win. Uh-huh. Right. I think we, we should ask them to say straight out, if you lose, will you concede? Will you accept the result? Because this was the norm in our political system, right? Literally for centuries, mm-hmm. that you accept defeat with good grace. You're like John McCain in 2008, or you know, and you basically call the person who defeated you, right? Mm-hmm. And you and you accept defeat with good grace, and you live to fight another day. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a, a reasonable request of people to not just say I'll accept if I win, but also to say, and if I lose, I will concede this and move on, and you know, work for my party and work to get reelected or something. I think it's, that's, that's what you need. And, and, and people being me- mealy mouthed about it, to put mm-hmm. it bluntly is not something I think we should settle for. You know, I mean, I, it's like, it's, it's either yes or no. It's either I will, uh, okay, I'm going to win. Sure. But if I lose, I'll accept the defeat. That's what you should say. Mm-hmm. That's, that doesn't leave me, you know, just edging around the thing or being coy. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no, in this time and place, there's, you cannot be coy about it. If you're being coy about it, what you're really saying is I'll only accept it if I win. I want, I think what I want honestly is people to speak with clarity. Mm. That's all I want. 
Mm-hmm. You know, do you do you believe the system is fair? Do you believe that that the outcomes will be fair? Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe the outcomes are fair, then explain to me why in detail with evidence, right? Yeah. Don't just be coy about it. And so I think, you know, the, the texture is correct that the statement itself within the tight context could be read that way. But in her broader context and what she's been saying about previous elections and about what she's been saying about this election in general, uh-huh. it doesn't hold up. So all I want is just a straightforward answer. Will you concede if you lose? And that's not asking too much, right? Because uh, cause otherwise you start to, you, it's, it no longer becomes about the candidate, but now we're talking about the office itself, right? Mm-hmm. I may not like who got right. elected as president, but I like the idea of a president. And so to attack the institution or to attack the process invalidates it and then that's losing respect for the office and a critical part of the process is if you lose you respect the result mm, mm-hmm. right uh and you and you don't launch endless you know lawsuits because you have the money to do it you don't and, and lawsuits that are thrown out basically mm-hmm. immediately mm-hmm. you don't talk in this sort of sports squid ink and say oh well there's lots of questions you know there's all manner of questions about this election are there really well explain to me what they are Mm. You know, and demonstrate this with evidence, not just, you know, I heard from a guy. Mm. It's like the gentleman running for Senate in New Hampshire who says, yeah, busloads of people were bussed into New Hampshire in 2020 to vote. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's that's ridiculous on its face because New Hampshire, I mean, I, I grew up next to New Hampshire. You can't just bus bunches of people from somewhere else into New Hampshire to have them vote. It's not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. But yet he just says this, right? And, you know, I'm sorry, but you can't go around saying stuff like that and be treated as a serious person, mm. you know, because you are just making these allegations. You're, you're basically throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping some of it will stick. Mm. And I'm sorry I get fired up about this, but- you're passionate for, for our system to work. Yeah. People need to accept that sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Mm-hmm. And if people don't accept that, and if they, if they basically are saying things which are untrue, mm-hmm. riling people up or retailing things, which, you know, are probably false, but they're pretending we're just asking questions. This it's is highly, this is corrosive. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a bad thing. Uh, so I think people have an obligation to accept that, you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And you can always make a comeback. I mean, Richard Nixon, he lost in mm-hmm. 1968. Eight years later, he was president, right? I mean, it can be done. Yeah. And, you know, if Nixon had spent 1960 complaining about losing, he might not have come back, right? Yeah. So, so I just think it's bad that people uh, are doing this. I think it's unfortunate there, there are people who are, who are mealy-mouthing around it. Mm-hmm. There are mm-hmm. questions. There are lots of questions. Well, okay, explain these questions to me. And, and take if you, have, if you have evidence, take it to court, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just mealy mouthing it, and I don't like that. I want, and I, and I realize this is something politicians do. They talk around issues. They don't take strong, firm stands on things. But on this issue, I think you could take a firm stand. Yeah, it's it wouldn't be hard to take a firm stand. Yep, you know? yeah, and you would be you would accept it if it's yes or no, right? Yes. If yeah, seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. That's you. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Oh, I didn't hear that. But uh, is uh, Dr. Jen, Jen Dreisick, do you think he knows who uh, Don McGahn was? Don McGahn, I, I, I've heard the name. I, I, is it one of the— White House counsel under Trump. Oh, yes, yes, I, I've, yes, yes. Yeah. Remember all this stuff about the Democrats are going to stack the court because of the justices that he put in? And, you know, it was exactly the opposite. Appellate and appeal, court of appeals. Don McGahn worked for J- Jones Day. They're a multinational. They own 
they have thousands of lawyers and they they're the ones that went to court after Trump said he won. Yes. And some of their people, they handpicked all the Supreme Court justices that company did. And um, also, too, then McGahn, before things got too hot, he got out of the administration. But um, Trump put in a, almost 130 handpicked people, and some of them were with Jones Day. So basically, <laughs> uh, do you think that was rather odd? No, no actually it's not. Um, there's a few very big law firms that uh, people who want a career in uh, the federal government or who want to be judges tend to work for. Uh, there's, 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 these are what are called the white shoe firms in Washington. So it's actually not surprising that ambitious young lawyers go to work for these kind of firms, that they pay you a lot of money. Uh, they're, they're the entree into uh, you know political circles that lead you to judgeships and important jobs. So it's not a surprise. Um, it can look it can look weird, but the fact is, you know, if you graduate from Harvard or Yale, there's you know, and you want to work in this particular, there, there's a few law firms you go to, and that's where you know the big names go. So no, it's not a surprise. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to read too much into those kind of things because there's only a certain limited number of big law firms that people tend to go to from these institutions and they all tend to know each other, mm. which is maybe a problem, right? Because it turns out everybody knows everybody and everybody's everybody's pal. Yeah. But it's not, it's not a conspiracy. It's nothing unusual that, you know, people work in these businesses, it's kind of like people who want to, you know, be big wheels and major businesses tend to work for the same companies and all uh -huh. know each other. So it's not, a, it's not a problem. Uh, I think, it, I think it, the problem would be mainly that, you know, the same, schools tend to provide, you know, all our judges and all our, all our important people in the justice department and all have gone to Harvard or Yale, which might be a bit of a problem. Absolutely. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Yeah, thank you. Uh, doctor, particularly with medical, you know, medical and science questions and uh, thinking about public safety and, and public health safety, you know, during the pandemic, the dangers of telling the common man to do their own research and, and your thoughts on that. Everybody in the country hitting Google to do <laughs> research. None of them are qualified to do real medical research. They don't know how to read it or well, where to find it. Well, uh, you know, uh, well, let me put this. You can always find something to confirm what you already want to, what you already believe. Huh. You could always find something to confirm your preexisting biases, right? Uh, I think that's one of the problems with the internet. I think it's also full of misinformation as well. And I think I, as I talk to my students about this in class, I say, look, you know, start with, you know, government agencies, start with news sources that have been around for a long time that have something to lose. Right. And, you know, look at it also from a non-American perspective. I often recommend going to the British Broadcasting Company or some mm -hmm. other foreign source to get a non-American perspective. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, when people say I did my own research, what they almost always mean is I had a pre-existing bias and I looked for confirmation of that bias. Mm. And that I think is unfortunate. I think the internet lets you do that more and more and more easily these mm -hmm. days. And so it's like when I assign a paper to my students in American government, I say I want, you know, two sources and I want them to be, you know, opposed to each other if possible, right? Because that way you'll get at least some perspective. Um, I think that, that gets at the erosion of trust we talked about, you know, now that everybody has this amazing magic device that lets them 
get all human wisdom, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of unfortunate things that are untrue. But I think the problem is people tend to seek out things that reflect their own biases and their own concerns about the world, and they don't look for anything that might go against that. And that's unfortunate. So as unfortunate as it might be, Dr. Jindrysik, who gets to ultimately make the decision on, you know, if I, if I go out there and, I, and a medical provider comes out and says, hey, this is what I believe to be true about medicine. My experience in medicine tells me that this is true. That person has the same qualifications as a lot of other people, maybe somebody else sure. who says the exact opposite thing. So who gets to be the arbitrator of, well, this is a truthful source and this is a not reliable right. source? Well, yeah, that's a hard one, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the average person doesn't has, a, you know, we can't know everything. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. And we can't know everything, and, you know, and, and that's good because, you know, we can't. But uh, I think you have to, you know, look at who do I trust? Who who have I worked with? Who, who you know, who has turned out to give me good advice? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I certainly have had doctors who I don't really trust all that much. And I have doctors who I trust completely. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it just comes from testing out their advice, right? And testing it out against my own personal experience. I mean, I have, okay. a, I have a chronic illness and so I have to be concerned about it. I've done my own research on it. But I've also, you know, talked to a lot of doctors about it. Sure. And I think, you know, the, and what I've discovered is that, you know, there's, there's a general consensus about what to do about my condition. And so uh-huh. I follow that. And I think that's what people need to do. They need to, it's, it's work and it takes time and not everybody can do it. But I think the danger again is don't find, just don't go look for things that confirm what you already believe because what you already believe might be a bias. Yeah. And, or it might be right, but you want, you want to dig a little deeper. But I think, you know, I think people who have devoted their lives to the public good, to public mm-hmm. health, for mm-hmm. example, these people should be our trustworthy people because they've, they've sacrificed, you know, and done things for the public good. Uh, they aren't out there selling fake diet pills or, you know, miracle cures, right? They're out mm-hmm. there grinding away. And many of these people you've never heard of, yeah. but they're doing, they're doing good work. And so I think you have to kind of trust institutions that have existed. Like I know the CDC took a lot of hits, yeah. but you know, it's still the, a leading place for medical research in the world. And yep. you know, it's like the Mayo Clinic. These are people who are, you know, they're really, I think, working in good faith to try to do the right thing. And, and it, yeah, sometimes they make mistakes, uh-huh. but you know, at least they're not trying to tell you, you know, you can cure you know, disease by just positive thoughts or, or you yeah. can cure cancer by, you know, I don't know, eating apricots or something, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, they're not quacks, right? But it's hard. It's a very hard thing. And I, 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 and it's, it's overwhelming science. No, it's not perfect. And, and it's overwhelming, right? It's it, the information we have funneling to us is so overwhelming. It is a question of who you trust. And I think you have to trust your own experience and, 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 and look for multiple sources and go from there. It's, and it's hard. It's time-consuming and difficult, and it's not easy to do. We'll take the last break here. We'll wrap it up with the, Dr. Jindrizik next. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. News Radio 1310 KNOX 1079-1033 FM. So in just the last couple seconds we have, Dr. Jindrysik, I'll ask you, what can people do in the way of critically thinking for themselves on how do I evaluate a source? Like this source makes sense or I'm seeing it. What do you tell students when, when you're having them write papers and those kinds of things? Well, I say long running organizations okay. are, are have more investment in, you know, not being wrong. And, and doing the due diligence. You know, people pick on the New York Times, I know, but it's been around for a long, long time and it uh-huh. has a reputation, you know, that it can't afford to just burn. And so, you know, compared to some guy in his basement or, you know, some someone you've never heard of, uh-huh. you know, a long running organization probably has more invested in, in being closer to what is real and what is true. 
Uh, but again, you have to use your critical faculties. And if, if something is too good to be true, it probably is. Uh-huh. I think that's the other thing I advise my students, right? If it totally, agree, if someone you totally agree with someone, it's probably too good to be true. Okay. So, yeah. Do you, well, how about looking at different sources? How do you evaluate mm-hmm. which sources? Like, do you want one from each side? Do you want? Yeah. Well, I think you, there are media bias lists out there. There, there are lists of media trustworthiness. I mean, you have groups like the the Pew Organization, the Pew Foundation, that does studies the media, and they look at this you know, trustworthiness and things. So you can go to their website, and they'll they'll talk about you know what are trustworthy places to look at, and they 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 try very hard to be as nonpartisan as possible. So there are people out there studying this, and I think you can go to their their sources, and we I can certainly dig some up for you. Yeah, that'd be oh, great. Yeah. yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, that would that would be interesting. We were talking about how do you evaluate what's coming up. Up on a ballot, yeah. where do you go for reputable uh, sources on things? So right. just even being able to uh, able to evaluate the quality of a source, yep. um, it's, it's helpful. It's work. It's work. And I just uh, want to say I won't be here next week, so I want to give a shout out to all our veterans, including my brother and my sister in law, who spent twenty five years in the Navy. So. Happy Veterans Day. Yeah, pass on my gratitude for their service. I will. All right, thanks for your time, Doctor Jendisic. See you soon. All right. That'll do it for my time. Brian Michaels is up next, followed by Lee Hensrud. This is Critical Thought on News Radio 1310, KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning. for listening to Critical Thought. Download the show notes at criticalthought.show. The content from this episode was taken from the live radio show, which airs every weekday from 9 a.m. to noon on Newstalk 1310 KNOX, streamed online at knoxradio.com.